Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. If I were going to make a list for you of things I am most afraid of in life, um, I'm afraid of heights, I'm afraid of clowns, and I'm afraid of Zoom mistakes and mishaps like this. So we're in Mere Christianity, book four, chapter four through six, and um, we're really going to focus on chapters four and five today. Um, Chapter four is starting out uh, by discussing the Trinity. Four and five are really crucial just to how we believe in God. Um, So if you... Uh, whenever we accept Christ, whenever we join God's family, uh, these are two key things that we believe about who God is. Um, we believe that God is uh, a person of three persons. He's, he's um, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and then we'll see in chapters uh, five just kind of what that means. Like, what, what is the gospel and how is it walked out um, in chapter five? So um, as you think about just the Trinity, as you think about God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, if you're like me, that just is mind-blowing. Um, it's hard to really even try to wrap your head around um, that one being would be three persons, and those three persons would coexist and co-work uh, together uh, in unity to be God. It's way too big and too hard to, to really ever grasp, which is a good thing about God. If we could understand him, he probably wouldn't be God. Um, so we begin by just understanding this, this concept of who um, God is in these three beings. And if you're like me, you think God the Father, well, he surely came first. You know, the Father is the oldest. Um, the Father has the Son. Um, and so C.S. Lewis reminds us, like, you don't really need to get too wrapped up in trying to figure out the logistics of this thing. He says you won't be able to because time itself doesn't pertain to God. Um, when we speak of the Trinity, it's it can sound like they all came at different times and they all kind of joined this God party within their own uh, order. But it says that they all existed always. Um, there it wasn't a start date. There was there's not going to be an end date. There wasn't a uh, chapter one, two and three of how God came to be. It was just all there. And so uh, C.S. Lewis says, don't get uh, too bogged down in trying to figure out how how God works through these three entities. Naturally, our thoughts place the father before the son and, and, and all these things. But he says, just consider them to be one working uniquely. They've always existed and they always will. He says it's okay to like let your heads go somewhere to try to rationalize it for a little bit of time, but don't get too wrapped up in it. He reminds us of that numerous times. And he says, if you want to look anywhere for who God is, be sure to look in the word uh, because there's no earthly description. There's no earthly explanation that can tell us who God fully is, especially when it comes to the Trinity. So naturally, just to let God describe himself through his word. Most... Uh, much of the most important thing is to know that um, God exists as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit so that we can best understand love. You know, we like to say that God is love. We, we see that all around. We, you might see it on a, on a poster or on a coffee cup. We, we say it sometimes. We're like, well, God is love. And C.S. Lewis argues that in order for God to be love, that, that love has to happen between more than one person. 
And so it says that, that God fully is love because he's fully showing and receiving love as a father. He's um, taking love on and giving it back as a son. And between the two is a, is a love and share love. Um, the spirit is how it's experienced. Um, so he says that in order for God to be loved, then we have to also understand that God is this triune God that gives it, that receives it, that celebrates it, that honors it. And that's how he works through the, through the uh, Trinity. So, and here's what makes Christianity different. This, this idea of God being love, the idea that God gives love and, and pursues and receives all these things. Uh, he says that what makes Christianity different than all other religions is that God isn't this static figure that's off in heaven that's just telling us what to do in order to be loved by him or to achieve him or to receive life. Instead, we see that God is alive. Um, C.S. Lewis actually says that, that he's actually dancing with us, meaning that it's a, it's a full on engagement between what God desires to do for his people and how his people can participate in that. Um, and so he, he compares it to a dance. Um, I'm not a good dancer, um, but dancing requires moving closer to one another. Sometimes it requires backing away from one another. It, it requires giving each other space and room to maneuver and to spin and to twist. Um, I'm more of just a slow dance rocker, but, uh, but when it, when it comes to how we relate to God, this love is something that's continually moving and, uh, and, and engaging with us through the, uh, Trinity. So, so if God is alive, if he's about, if he's active, um, if he's lovingly revealing himself as a father and a son, and this dance is happening, then what's our role in it? Hopefully our role would be one uh, that, that understands, like the son, that, that God is pursuing us and providing for us and protecting us. We see God the father as someone who is um, in charge, as someone who is uh, just taking care of things. But hopefully we also view God as the father. We, we, we can understand kind of how we would want to, to, uh, to protect and to, to love and to admonish and to, to raise up. And so we're able to now identify God through both of those lenses as the father and as the son. And that gives us an opportunity to know that he's just not pointing his finger and telling us what to do. It's not just some authority thing that's, lining out all the things we have to do in order to be uh, saved. Instead, we get to participate as his sons and daughters, and we get to view him as each of those uh, pieces of the Trinity. God the Father is in front of us. Jesus the Son is seemingly beside us, and this Holy Spirit is within us. And this is the holy dance that we are called to participate in. Now we get good, uh, he goes on to talk about this whole idea of proximity. And this is where the title of the chapter comes from when we talk about infections. So he says, if we're going to be involved in this dance with God, if we're going to be able to participate with him, um, then we also have to think about how close are we? Um, like I said, if you, if we get closer or if we back away, that determines how, how well we're dancing. Um, so, we get things by proximity. Um, we're coming out of COVID. I don't even like saying that word anymore, but we all understand kind of what it means to be in proximity of someone who is, who is sick. Um, you know, that 
we would come into an office and we would keep six feet from each other and we wear masks and we would do everything we could just to keep everything away from us so that we wouldn't um, get what they had. We wouldn't be infected. And he says the same principle applies for good things and for bad things. Um, he, he talks about how infection is something that is caught and infection is something that is spread. We know a lot about it. Like uh, I know Blake and, and all of our operations people have manuals upon manuals of what to do in case of infection. But essentially, you've got to get near the things you want and you have to get away from the things you don't want. Um, if you don't want to be infected by the illness, then stay up in the attic. If you, if you don't want to be, uh, if you don't want to catch someone's germs, then stay away from them. And it's same, it's the same with what's good. Um, if you want to find ways to be encouraged and helped and experience good things, then you have to find ways to draw near to the source of the good things. And so he talks through that. And, um, he says, when you want to get warm, you need to get near fire. When you want to get wet, you have to get into the water. And when you want to find power, peace, and life, you must draw near to God. These things aren't prizes that God just gives to us. They're not, they're not things that we have to earn or achieve. Instead, we simply get to just step into this trinity of God and experience this dance and this, this interaction between God the Father, the Son, and Spirit and us. Um, he says, and the closer we get, the more, the more intimate and, and near we are to that, the, the more we'll be able to experience what he would have for us. He says, we can only truly experience this when we become sons and daughters of God. It's at this point that we realize that we are loved by the father as he loves the son. And we love the father as the son loves the father. And that mutual and revolving love and presence is within us. So he spends this chapter just talking about, hey, I hope that you can view God as a father. I hope that you can view him as a son or daughter. And I hope that you can uh, experience those two things within work or at work within the spirit. Because these three things are, are vital to how we interact and move around and, and draw near to God. Again, I'm flustered because of all this stuff, but I think about the idea of the Trinity. And I th I'm thankful that we don't have just um, just some Nazi of a God figure out there that says who who can and can't come to me, who is so distant and uh, so afar that he just has this long list of rules and and uh, and, and lists that we have to abide by to get in. And, and so I, I'm thankful that we have that father that just desires the most for his children. And I'm also thankful that we have the son through in Jesus who who understands our shortcomings, who empathizes for our uh, brokenness, who who very much has experienced all of that so that he can advocate for us uh, to the father. Someone who can can pick us up exactly where we are and walk alongside us to get to where we're called to be. And whenever we experience God as the father and whenever we know him as the son, then those two things work together so that we can be walking with the spirit. Um, so the spirit can be within us so that we can, um, even on times that we don't know what to say or what to do, the spirit continues to, to call on God for us. And so each of these things um, share attributes about God, which if we didn't have the spirit, we wouldn't understand how he works within us. 
If we didn't know God as the son, we wouldn't understand the great lengths he went to save us. And if we didn't know God as the father, we would not know what's true and what's right and, and what the plan is for our eternity. And so understanding God in each of these three ways is super critical and super important for believers. Um, maybe you've grown up and you've only focused on one or two of those things. Um, maybe you've known God to be the rule maker and the authority. And maybe you've known that Jesus is the one that got you there. But maybe you haven't fully allowed yourself to experience that fellowship as, through the spirit. Or maybe you focus so much on the spirit and just feelings and asking God that just to work within your life that you fail sometimes to forget that that God has a calling and, and um, a standard for us to live by. So maybe we focus on the spirit, but fail to think about just the authority that still is there from God as the father. Whatever it is, um, C.S. Lewis just reminds us that the, the best way to view God is in light of each of these three beings, each of these three entities. And together, if we view all three of them together, we understand the Trinity and we see all the aspects of God. He uh, he goes on in chapter five just to talk about the gospel. And he does it by mentioning toy soldiers, uh, which I didn't really, that image didn't come to my head. I didn't know exactly what that meant, but I had to go back and think about it. And uh, the best thing I could picture was a nutcracker. Um, which we'll see, you know, around Christmas typically, but just imagine a, a tin metal nutcracker type figure that is just um, without life. It doesn't move. It doesn't do much. It's just there. And he goes on to talk about how these um, toy soldiers, how, how they, um, he uses that just to show what God desires to do with us. And so he says, if man hadn't rebelled against God, then um, maybe we would have been born into just a beautiful, perfect world. He said, had Genesis 3 not happened, had sin not entered the world, then maybe we all would have just been born into some perfect utopian world where we just always fellowship with God. He said, but sin very much existed. It happened. Uh, it, it, it cursed the world. And so instead of being born into a relationship with God, we're actually born into a world that is just so far from him. And so this relationship is something that has to be pursued and, and found and cherished and clung to. So he says, if man hadn't rebelled against God, maybe we would have been born into that. But the truth is we were born into a world that needs him. Uh, as he says, man did rebel. And, uh, and this put our life and our spiritual life at war with one another. You know, have you ever felt like the life that we're called to live and the life that we are just living around like those two things are not only different, they're very much at odds with one another. Um, God doesn't just call us to, to shift our thinking. He calls us to become a new being. And whenever we do that, we have to die to who we were. And so he, he points out this, this, this concept. He says, we're not just, um, we're not just rebelling and we're not just putting on new life. He says, we're very much, uh, we're very much becoming a new person. Um, so he says, man rebelled, sin is real, spiritual life is in, it's a battle with real life. He reminds us that we, when we're fallen, are selfish. Uh, we as fallen people are prideful. We as fallen people are focused on ourselves. Um, we, we look out for number one. This is what we do. Um, we as fallen people uh, would rather avoid anything that requires us to be better. 
it, uh, given to our own devices. We want what's easy. We want what's nice. We want what's what's uh, achievable. And we'll just go about that route until we're called to do something more, until we come to know God. So he says our very nature is at odds with God and all that he provides. So he's, he's using all these words and all these stories just to essentially tell us and remind us of what the gospel is. So, so far he said, we're already at odds with God. It's true. It's real. What God is calling us to is against our flesh. And he says, our very nature is at odds with him. Um, and he says, so imagine turning this 10 soldier into a real man. And he gives us this idea. He says, so if you take this 10 soldier, if you give him a life, um, that man is going to begin moving and begin doing what he wants to do. Um, he says that this soldier will continue to, to fight against the creator because he doesn't want to be changed into something different. Um, he says he'll actually fight every step of the way because we're, we're taking who he was and we're, we're turning him into something new and it doesn't, it's not what he wants. Um, this shows us how our flesh will continue to just kind of fight with, uh, with, against the holy, particularly with, without God. Um, so in order to save us, God, the son became a man. He goes on and continues to talk through what the gospel is. He says, in order to save us from that, God, the son became man. It doesn't say that God, the son was created. It goes back to that Trinity thing. It doesn't say that because God desired to save us, he created his son. He says that God in the form of the son became a man. And um, it says that he put on flesh. He lived as man were originally intended to. So Jesus came to be on the earth and we see how we should have lived. Um, someone who stood up for what was right. Someone who resisted what was wrong. Someone who loved and gave graciously. Someone who pointed people towards hope. Um, Jesus lived as we were originally intended to. And as we all know, he suffered, he died, and he rose again. A cool point that C.S. Lewis makes is this wasn't just God rising again from the, from the dead. Uh, we have to remember that God was fully human as well. Um, he was fully God, but also fully human. So we need to understand that, that God does the same thing for us when he calls us into his family. We don't just celebrate a God who rose. We celebrate a God who who was here as a man who defeated death. And, he, and that's a good reminder that whenever we come to know him as our savior, that we get to experience something similar. We get to overcome the things that hold us down. We get to overcome the, the sin that has kept us away from God. We can overcome the, 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 the temptations, the, the, the punishment. We can overcome those things just as God, the man, God, the son came and defeated death. So he makes that point just to remind us that we don't just serve a risen God. We serve a God who rose and in the form of a man so that we can identify with that. He rose again and uh, he was fully God, but fully human. So humans can identify with that. And since humans are connected to one another, just like we see each other in, in, the, in the meeting room there in Birmingham, we see each other in squares all around this Zoom chat. We're connected to one another. We just, we just prayed and lifted up prayer requests uh, because we are not only on a team, but we're a part of uh, a part of a team and we get to do this together. Uh, so since we're connected and since God understands that connection, this good news and this gospel began to spread because when we've experienced God, hopefully it would affect those that we're connected with. 
Um, and so it says the good news began to spread throughout humanity. He says that Christ has done the saving and we simply have to open up and draw near. So he goes back to that idea of, of just being close to, uh, to what is good so that it will rub off and affect us. In chapter five, he reminds us of just the, the basic understanding of this gospel. Um, it's something that you probably have heard throughout your life, especially if you've grown up in church. Nothing that we said so far is it should stick out if you've been in church for a long time. However, he's reminding us that because of our sin, we can experience God as a father, as someone who has um, loved us despite our shortcomings. And because of his uh, because of his son, Jesus, he can understand who we are as a human, who we are as a as a fallen person. And uh, he empathizes and, and loves like a father does a son. He goes on to talk about in chapter uh, six, just these two points to consider. Um, he calls it two notes. And really, this is almost like an add on to what he said about the Trinity and about the gospel. Number one, he says that there's only one son of God in the Trinity. Um, there's not multiple gods. There's not multiple sons. There's not multiple people appointed to be the son of God. But through this son, he gives man free will so that we can come to know the father through the son. So um, he just wants to kind of uh, set everyone straight that there's not multiple ways. There's not multiple sons. There's one way to God, and that's through the son, Jesus. Um, so that was his first point that you want to be sure everyone understood. Um, not only th- are we kind of grafted into the family of God, uh, but we join in with this body of believers when we do so. Um, and so his point too was that even though we're all part, all part of one body, we all have unique, uh, unique and significant roles. So we don't just join this family of God and just punch our ticket and become a Christian and just uh, merge in with this culture. Instead, we do all that, but we but we also have a unique role to play. So in this Bible study in the past, we've talked about spiritual gifts and we talked about what's your role in the body of Christ. He would ask us the same thing. He says that whenever we join this group of believers, um, it's like we we get to be in fellowship with one another and we get to all be moving towards the same thing. But we all have unique roles to play. And so even though we're all part of one body, we have something to do that's significant and that's special and it's for you to do within the kingdom. So he just wants us to, to, re, to be reminded that we're not just joining this club. We're not just uh, punching our ticket. We don't just become the church. We take on, um, take on the identity of Christians and then we need to be doing something unique with it. So I can look in, the, in this chat and see all these squares. And I know that within our group, there are amazing interceders. There, there are people that can just uh, pray for one another and encourage one another and, and just be there to lift one another up. Within this group of squares, I know that there are incredible administrators, people who can plan and and can oversee and can just be sure that the right things are doing, uh, right people are doing the right things. Within this group, I see people who will just serve and just give to one another. And so he says that you have that unique identity to do something significant within this body of God. You get to be an active player in this kingdom. And so uh, a few things that coming out of those chapters, that I would just like to ask you, maybe where this helped me make sense of this Trinity idea, this idea that 
that the gospel is, it exists because we need it to, and it exists because God wants it to. God knew from the beginning of all creation what would happen. And so through God the Father, through his Son, has made a way for us to know him. And then collectively, we get to experience him through the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to ask you three questions uh, as we leave for the week. Um, I would say, what do you find yourself close to these days? What This week, as you go about whatever you have coming on, what do you find yourself close to? If what you are near is infectious, then what is it that you are finding yourself in close proximity to? Is it good? Is it helpful? Is it godly? Is it rubbing off on you the wrong way? Are you just getting it? Do you run a risk of becoming infected with something that's not of God? Just think about the things and the people and what's taking your time. And maybe even just ask yourself as you go into this week, like, what am I going to truly allow myself to get close to? It's a good question, too, that we can ask of our of our clients and of our families. Um, what are you guarding yourself from and what are you drawing close to? Um, C.S. Lewis would remind us that we should draw close to God and find ourselves pushing away things that aren't of God so that we're not infected with the wrong things, but we're infected with who God is. So check your surroundings this week and uh, relocate if necessary so that you're not infected with things that are not of him. Uh, the second question, second kind of uh, thought I had is that you have um, no doubt heard the gospel repeatedly, uh, probably at your church. You've definitely heard it at Lifeline. Uh, we say it a lot. We tell it to clients. We, we put it in brochures. Like we embody the gospel so much that we probably even say it without knowing it. So you probably have found yourself sharing it with somebody. You, you, you've tried to explain it. But I would say, does the gospel, does even just hearing the nuts and bolts of the gospel, does it still prompt you to action? Just hearing the great links that God has gone through to reconcile our sin and to forgive us of our debts and to graft us into his family and to give us a new eternity. Does, do those things prompt you to respond? Does the goodness and the good news of God do something in your soul still? And if so, what does that look like for you? Now, it doesn't mean you say the prayer again for the hundredth time, but, but what does hearing the gospel and thinking on that truth do for us now? It's already saved us. Um, hopefully it's, it's already began a sanctification process of turning us into who God wants us to be. But what does it do for you now? Because I don't think it gets said and goes out and, and returns void. It actually still has use and still has power and still has impact, even once we believe it, even more so. What does the gospel mean to you now? And what does that look like in your daily life? And maybe it's prompting you to do something. Maybe be, being reminded of, of what God has done for us at, from, from the Father of what God has done for us through the Son, of what God desires to do within us through His Spirit, maybe that will prompt us to do something with Him and for Him and for others today. And the third thing is, if we are all parts of this body, how can you help somebody who that you're close, that you're called to closely work with? Um, if we have to be 
you know, a toe on the, on the, the foot of the body of Christ, then how are we finding ways that we're encouraging the other toes around us? Not saying you find your fit on the body. You probably have already done that. You're probably already working within your, your calling. But maybe a question you can ask yourself this week is how are you encouraging the other body parts around you to work together for his good, for his goodness? I, uh, I appreciate you guys being um, gracious with me today. Thank you for enduring uh, some very roughed up notes that I can't access. And so I'm just trying to go through memory. Um, and thank you for uh, giving me a chance to get my Wi-Fi figured out. But um, I, I'd love to close this in prayer. I know we've already done prayer requests and I've already had that time. So if I can close this in prayer, we will be off in about a week. Father, I thank you for this book. Lord, thank you for this reminder that um, you are a big God, Lord, and you exist in, in multiple ways. Lord, you're not just an authority figure that um, that is far and aloof from us, uh, away from us. But God, you are, um, you are the source of truth and of provision from the, as the Father. God, you also are the Son. Lord, you understand, um, you understand what it is to, to praise the Father. You understand what it is to, to give love and admiration. Um, and God, you understand us at, as, uh, as sons and daughters. God, and because you're the Father and because you're the Son, Lord, you, you desire to uh, live within us and just give us your spirit. Um, God, I pray that uh, we not lose sight of the fact that you are at work within us. God, you are, um, you, you live within our hearts. Lord, you, you understand our desires, our uh, motivations, our um, intentions, God, and you, uh, you desire to live within us and, and draw us near to you. God, I thank you for the Trinity, Lord, even though we can't understand it, Lord, we know that that is how you love and reveal yourself to us. God, I thank you for the gospel, Lord, um, even when we don't know how to fully articulate it, God, you, you created this world when sin um, seemed to prevail, Lord, you made a way for it to be dealt with. You pursued us, you, uh, you lovingly Give us a way to know you and to live for you and with you. God, I pray that anytime we think about that or or even just try to, to, to say it to ourselves or to others, God, I pray that we'd be reminded of its power. Lord, I pray that we'd be reminded of its truth. And God, I pray that it would just uh, spur us to, to do something because of what you've done for us. God, that, that other people would see um, a joy and a peace that we have and want to know more. And God, that you would give us opportunities to share who you are with others. God, also, um, I thank you that we are not just called to be an isolated follower of Christ, but God, we get to do this in the context of family and of uh, a unified body. So God, I pray that we would just uh, enjoy working together, Lord, that we would find ways to, to encourage and to lift up one another, that we would um, just support other people that are um, doing this work with us. God, I pray that um, as you 
just see the work and the movement of lifeline, God, you would see um, a small part of your body that is uh, pursuing you and that is um, loving well. God, um, thank you for this book. Thank you for this time. Lord, if, if nothing more than just getting to be reminded of uh, how good you are, how much we need you and, and what you've called us to do, God, I, I pray that you would just use it to, to, uh, to do that. God, thank you for our team. Lord, I pray for the week ahead. God, I pray that you would just uh, guide our steps, that you would give us uh, boldness to, to follow you. God, and that would, that's going to call us into uncomfortable positions, Lord. I pray that you would just uh, help us to step into those roles and those spots with, with faith and with trust. And God, that you would just uh, work through us this week. Lord, we love you uh, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.